Amen. Amen. Well, when I was just four or five years old, just a little guy, uh, my family, my immediate family, my mom, my dad, my uh, younger sister, and some extended family and some friends, it was the 4th of July, and we went to a 4th of July festival that was hosted in our area on uh, a naval base. And I'm not talking like a small festival. You know, this wasn't a couple hundred people. This wasn't even a few hundred people. There were several thousand people that were at this naval base for this 4th of July festival. And of course, there's going to be an incredible uh, fireworks display that happens when it gets dark. But we get there early. We find a great spot, put our blankets down, and then we start to walk around. You know, this isn't just fireworks. They've got, they've got games. They've got food. They've got booze of things to engage, things you can buy. And so we're walking around with uh, my family and friends, kind of a big group of us. And uh, I kind of got a little bit ahead of the group. And uh, there was a fence, and I was sort of walking along the fence with my hand, you know, kind of knocking against the fence. And, you know, sometimes you get in that mode where, like, you're, you're, you're focused in on something so close, and, and I'm looking at, like, the slats, and I'm just, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm hitting the fence, I'm hitting the fence, I'm hitting the fence. And then I turned around, and I didn't recognize a soul. Nobody. And I, I'm not, you know, like 12 or 13 years old. I'm like four. I'm five. I am tiny. And I am alone and I am lost in a crowd of thousands of people. I don't recognize anybody. And you know, right? I mean, right now, even like my heart rate's gone up. Maybe yours has as well. Thinking about yourself in that scenario, or maybe you've got a younger brother or sister or a niece or a nephew, you're like, oh my goodness, right? Well, thankfully, I had started to be able to read a little bit. So I'm wandering around, freaking out, and I see a booth. It's got a big sign, big white sign, big red lettering, and it says, information. <laughs> and so I kid you not, I walk up to the booth and I say, hi, I'm lost, <laughs> Like, can you imagine being the volunteer or the worker that's at that booth and this like little, little tyke kind of walks up to you and is like, hi, like I'm, I'm a lost child, right? That's just like, it's gotta make your day almost. It's like the weirdest, strangest, funniest thing. And so they kind of take me back behind the booth. I vividly remember they gave me a soda because my mom and dad would never give me soda, right? And so I've got a soda and somehow they're able to uh, locate my mom and dad and, uh, and I'm safe, right? And I'm, I'm okay now, right? I'm here. It's many, many years later, like I'm okay now. I, I want you to think though, and it's probably not hard for you to do, even if you're not a mom or a dad, but think about my mom or, and dad. Think about my aunts and uncles and my friends, right? What are they doing during that, in those intervening minutes? And I don't even remember how long it was. What are they doing? Right, they are also freaking out. They are also, right, they have lost their minds. In fact, one of my mom's friends, this is, a, this is like a concert going on, right? There's a big stage and my, one of my mom's friends is kind of one of those people, right? She's like, that doesn't care. She just walks up to like the stage and there's security there and she's trying to like get past security to like get on the stage, stop the, the musical artist that's, that's there so she can make like an announcement about me, this lost kid, right? This is my mom's friend, this is my aunt, this is my uncle and, and the point point here is that, and, and this is, right, uh, hopefully this is obvious, right? My mom and my dad, my aunts, my uncles, my friends, they placed immense value upon me. They valued me. And I think what this story reveals is that when we value what we lose, we go find it. When we value what we lose, we go find it. 
right? If my mom and dad, if my aunts and uncles, friends, if they hadn't valued me, I'd be like, ah, no, no big deal. Maybe Paul finds his way back, maybe not, right? But they valued me. And so they came to find me. I think we, we intuit this, right? I think we sort of intuitively, sort of in our inner beings, we know this is a true statement, but I bet I can parse it out for you a little bit further. Think about how much your heart rate rose and how much you freaked out the last time that you misplaced or lost your cell phone. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> how is that like the worst thing in the entire world? But we place immense value on these technological devices. They're a huge part of our lives. We value them. So when we lose it, we go find it. You didn't just sit around, right? Going, oh, maybe my phone will turn up. Right? It's everything else. Nothing else is important in that moment until you find the thing that you lost if you value it. When we value what we lose, we go to find it. Again, I think we know intuitively this, this is true, but Jesus teaches this as well. And I think he does it in a really powerful and simple and beautiful way. And it's not complex what we're about to cover this morning, but my deep hope is that it does encourage you, that it speaks a word that your heart needs to hear this morning. So we're going to walk through a passage in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15 is where we find this passage. And there's a little bit of a setting, and then Jesus tells a couple of stories. And I think we're going to discover this idea that when we value what we lose, we go find it. So let's go to Luke 15. These are verses 1 through 3. And we'll just start by setting the scene by looking at what the context is that we have here. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners... Notice how those two are smushed together, right? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them these stories. Stop there and we can leave that on the screen. Now notice it says, and other notorious sinners, right? Which includes then the tax collectors in the group of notorious sinners. Why is this? Well, these were people from Jesus's community, they, the Jewish people that Jesus is a part of, uh, they were uh, underneath the control of Rome. And so a tax collector is a Jewish person who, for whatever reason, and we don't know their stories, but for whatever reason has decided that they were going to work for the occupying force, for the occupying government, and collect taxes to send back to Rome. These are not your favorite people at a dinner party, right? They're grouped in with other notorious sinners. And I love that there's something within Jesus' teaching that is drawing them to him. I love that. I love that. They're drawn to something in Jesus. Now, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, these are sort of the pastors of the day, right? These are like the Pauls of the day. These are people that on the outside, like they really sort of seem like they've got their lives together. They're really great at following all the rules. They dot their uh, I's, they cross their T's. They've got it all together on the outside. But if you watch Jesus closely, if you follow Jesus closely throughout his life and work, his ministry, he often reserves some of his most difficult challenges for these Folks, and this passage here in Luke 15 is no exception. We're going to get to that, right? So he's got both of these people here in front of him. And, and you'd think with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, maybe, maybe they would be like slightly annoyed if these notorious sinners and tax collectors were just coming to hear Jesus. Like, boy, what's he teaching that these folks like to listen to him and like to be around him? But it goes even deeper than that, right? He was associating with them, but not just associating with them, he was even eating with them. 
And this is a sign of acceptance even in our day and age, isn't it? I mean, you don't just randomly choose where you're going to sit in the cafeteria, do you? Right, you, whoever you're associating, you are saying something about who you sit down and eat a meal with, about who you sit down and break bread with. So this is true even for us. It was way more true for Jesus in their moment. And there was actually an intimacy in the meal settings because they didn't have high tables with chairs. They had lower tables. And so they're sort of reclining. They're like almost like kind of laying around a table eating food. This is how they would do it. So there's a closeness and an intimacy that meals, that, that the form of meals took. And this is what Jesus is doing with these people. And so Jesus has got the sinners and the so-called saints in one group. And he decides, I'm gonna tell some stories. And this is not a one-off for Jesus. Jesus told stories. He knew how powerful they are. He used them often in his teaching. And sometimes they're complex, but a lot of times they're really, really simple. But isn't it true that a simple story, a story doesn't have to be complex for it to be powerful and for it to contain a punch and I think that's what we find in the stories that Jesus tells here. So we're gonna jump a few verses and we're gonna look at one of these stories first. Here it is, verses eight and nine of Luke 15. Reads this way. Suppose there's a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Remember, we're talking about when we lose things. She loses one of her silver coins. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Won't she do that? Won't she do that? And the implication is, of course she will, right? Of course she will. Verse nine, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and she will say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Can you imagine, right? My mom sort of saying something like that when they find me at the 4th of July festival, rejoice with me. It's a little archaic, like, ah, maybe it was more of like a yes, right? There's a celebration when we find what we lose. Now, this is a simple story, right? It's just two lines, it's just two sentences, but you're almost able to imagine yourself as the woman. And we need to be careful that we don't think of these as just like a dime or a quarter, right? Those are silver coins that we have in our day, right? Or even, even a copper coin, a penny, right? We're probably not freaking out and losing our minds when we lose some pocket change, because why? It doesn't carry a lot of value, but remember what we're talking about here, the connection between valuing what we lose and what that motivates and causes us to do. So this isn't just pocket change. A silver coin for this woman would have been probably about a day's wages. Okay, so that's more than 10 cents. That's more than 25 cents. We're talking about a significant chunk of change. It's still not like, you know, maybe hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. I don't know how much you make in a day, right? but I don't and this woman didn't, but it's way more than just some pocket change, okay? Zero in a day, I saw that, I see you down there. I, poor college students, I get it, okay? So imagine you're in the workforce and it's a day's wages, but it's not just a day's wages, why? She's only got 10 of these. This is her life savings. And you can almost imagine too, right? It's, it's, the, the story doesn't mention anything about her husband. So this is a little bit of an argument from silence, but there is a vulnerability for women in Jesus's day. And so you're sort of wondering, man, does this, does this woman even have a husband? Maybe her husband, maybe she's a widow. Maybe her husband passed away and this was all that's left and she can't really work because that wasn't really possible for women in Jesus's day. And this is, this is how she sustains. This is how she lives, right? Are you understanding the picture a little more now? Well, it actually goes a little bit further. Notice what Jesus says. Won't she light a lamp? Boy, that's easy for us to overlook. 
Because what do we do? We walk into a room and we flip the switch. The only time that we think about like the power or the energy that it takes to turn the lights on is when the power company says, hey, there's gonna be rolling blackouts. Have you heard this, right? Because of how cold it is and the energy conservation, companies sometimes are like, and you're blacked out. And we lose our minds, right? Because we're so used to just being able to walk in the room and flip on the light. But stop for a moment. You know that this woman couldn't have done that. The fact that she had, she had oil, she had a lamp, she had to light it. This is, I want you to catch this with me. This is another valuable resource. There's an exchange that's happening here. Her house is dark, but she lost one of her 10 silver coins. She has to find it because when you value what you lose, you go find it. And there's times where you even have to do a resource exchange. And that is what this woman does here. She uses oil. She lights the lamp so that she has the ability to work hard and find the coin. When you value what you lose, you go find it. When you value what you lose, you go find it. Before this, this is the second story. Before this, there's one that I like even just a little bit more. So we're gonna back up a few verses and we're gonna look at the first story that Jesus tells. Verses four through six. Um, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. It's similar to the other one, right? But let's enter in again and let's draw out some of the distinctives about this story. Now, maybe you hear a hundred sheep and you're like, that's a lot of sheep. That would be, uh, I'm gonna do the math. That would be uh, 100 more sheep than I have right now. You know what I mean? Like maybe you, you hear that, that was funnier than you acted, by the way. <laughs> that was a good joke. That, that's a lot of sheep for me, right? I've got room for these sheep in my home. Right? I just, I, that's a lot of sheep, okay? But this was actually a small to medium-sized flock in Jesus' day for shepherds. Like a hundred sheep, it's not that many sheep. Like he's with the other shepherds and they're like, hundred sheep, right? It's just not that many. So there is baked in value. You can't be like, oh, well, we've got a thousand other sheep because we had a thousand and one in our flock. A hundred sheep is a small to medium-sized flock. There's incredible value in these sheep. And the other thing here, this is even a little different than with the coin. There's a relationship. At a different point in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about how sheep know the voice of the shepherds. Mm. There's a relationship. There's, there's, um, with the coin, there's not a relationship there, right? There's value, there's a need, but with the shepherd and the sheep, there's a relationship. And Jesus drives the point home Sometimes when I hear this story, I'm like, dang, kind of stinks for the 99, right? Like they're, they're just back, they're in the wilderness. Like, well, what if, what if like they get lost, right? Then what do we, then all of them are lost. And then we're, how is this, right? Jesus is, he's structuring this in a way to drive the point home. All of his original listeners would have known that he wasn't abandoning the 99. This is the shepherd. He owns these sheep, but he would have had like shepherd interns, 
right? A hundred sheep is a lot of sheep. You're not just, you're not the only guy with a hundred sheep. You would have had shepherd interns. And the point of this is that he goes to find the 99, he goes to find the one. He doesn't stay with the 99. You can almost imagine the reverse. Well, there's 99 here, so I, the shepherd, need to stay, and I will send one of my shepherd interns into the dangerous uh, place to find the one. That's not what happens. He leaves the shepherd in turns with the 99 and he himself goes and finds because the shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, not the shepherd's intern's voice. And you can imagine him wandering around the countryside, wandering around the wilderness, calling, maybe even calling by name, this one sheep that is lost. And then he finds it. Imagine finding it. Imagine finding it. Is it a little like when my mom showed up at that information booth? Do you think my mom was like, cool, high five, let's go get some cheese and crackers? No. What do you think my mom did when she showed up at that information booth? She grabbed me in the biggest bear hug you can ever imagine. And what happens here? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Let's go ahead and look at that next picture right? This is even a little deeper. This cuts a little deeper than the coin, doesn't it? There's a relationship here. I would even venture to say beyond value, there's value here, but I would even venture to say that there is love here. There is love here. And so let's adjust our opening idea. Let's adjust our opening idea based on this story. When you love what you lose, you go find it. It's certainly true that when you value what you lose, you go find it. But man, if you love that thing, if you love that sheep, if you love that Paul that you lost at the 4th of July festival, if you love what you lose, you go find it. You don't just sit back. You don't wait for somebody to bring it to you. Nothing else is important until you find and recover what it is that you have lost that you love. When you love what you lose, you go find it. Now, now here's the thing with Jesus. There are times where for a variety of reasons in his wisdom and in his mystery, he tells stories that are actually kind of confusing, both for his original listeners and and then for us as well. Uh, You can read some stuff from Jesus and you're like, "I, I don't know, I, you know, like, yeah. And even his closest friends and followers, there's times where they're just like scratching their heads, right? There's times where he will tell a story to the crowds and then they'll get Jesus alone later. And they're like, hey man, like, what was that about? <laughs> you know? And then he has to explain, or maybe he even says like, hey, listen, this isn't like, there's times where in his wisdom and in his mystery, he, he leaves some grayness and he doesn't always drive towards clarity. There's just times where he does that. And again, Jesus was the smartest and most brilliant person that ever lived. So we're not really in a position to say, well, you shouldn't have done that, Jesus. We're just not. But it does make me incredibly grateful for the times when he does not do that. He leaves no room for misunderstanding about the point that he's driving at. And now remember the context. Remember who is hearing these stories told about value, about love, and about things that are lost. Remember who's hearing these words. It's the so-called saints, the priests and pastors of the day, 
who think they've got their lives all together, who think they've got it figured out, and in fact are sitting from a holier-than-thou place of judgment against these quote-unquote sinners who are drawn in by Jesus' teaching and by his person. He's got both groups there. And he's telling these stories to drive at this very point. This is verse seven, right after the 99 and the one. This is what it says. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And there's a similar verse that happens at the end of the uh, lost coin uh, story. Twice Jesus drives home. Are you wondering, crowd, what I'm getting at? Wonder no longer. <laughs> you tax collect, I mean, you, uh, you priests, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you teachers of the law, you are upset that I associate with sinners. But can I tell you something? God's heart bends for the sinner. God's heart breaks for the sinner. God's heart bleeds for the sinner. Why? Because he values them. Why? Because he loves them. So let's keep pushing this idea and adapting this idea farther. God loves lost sinners so much that he came to find them. God loves lost sinners so much that he came to find them. This is plain from Jesus and it's not complex. I told you that this wasn't going to be complex, but my hope for you this morning is that there's something deep inside you that needs to hear this, that needs to be encouraged by this, right? That needs to be reminded of this. Oftentimes we tend to overlook the simple that we think we've heard before. But even more often, what we actually need is to return to the simple because it's the deepest it's the deepest stuff that we can never, ever forget. Because here's, let's, one more, right? Let's keep pushing it. Let's keep landing this a little bit closer to home for us. It's not just lost sinners, right? That's a little bit vague. <laughs> well, who is that? Friends, it's me. Friends, it's you. And so we can push this even deeper to say this, God loves you so much that he came to find you. God loves you so much that he came to find you. There's actually a third story that we don't have time for in Luke 15. It's even one of the more famous uh, stories in this chapter about two sons, two brothers, right? They're sons because there's a father in the story, but they're brothers to one another. And it really kind of like brings the whole chapter to, to a to a to a close, it like wraps up this whole narrative account and this teaching from Jesus. And the big idea of that, sec of that third story is actually that there is more than one way to be a lost sinner. You can sort of stay close to God, follow all of his rules, but be doing it for totally the wrong reasons. You're still a lost sinner. Or you can run away and rebel like the sheep did. The sheep didn't rebel. The sheep just ran away, right? Or like the younger brother, the younger son does in the third story, you can run away and rebel. Guess what? You're still a lost sinner. The point here is that we're all lost sinners, whether we think we are or whether we think we aren't. We are. We have all fallen short of God's glorious and perfect standards. We have all rebelled against him. We are all lost sinners. And yet in spite of that, in spite of that, 
God values you, God loves you, and he came to find you. And he didn't come to find you in some abstract way. Remember how the woman exchanged something of value for something else of value? She exchanged the oil. She lit the lamp so she could find the coin. Whew. God did not just light a lamp to find you and sweep out the house and pick you up like you're the lost coin. God loved you so much in spite of you and values so much and values you so much in spite of the fact that you're a lost sinner that he exchanged his son Jesus Christ of value for you, sending him to live, die and rise again on your behalf so that you no longer would be lost but can be found. Is this not the way the famous hymn begins, Amazing Grace. I once was what? I once was lost, a lost sinner. But God loved me. God valued me. And so he came in the way of Jesus to find me. Now, I've been thinking about this. Hopefully this message of God's love towards you, no matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you. Didn't Pastor Caleb preach about that? The deep shame we feel over what's been done to us, over the mistakes that we've made. It has no hold on our lives anymore. We can experience freedom because Jesus' blood and his intercession covers that. God's love, didn't we just sing, is bigger than our sin. We can be found because of Jesus. And I've been thinking about God's love for us and what it means. And it means a whole heck of a lot. But there's just three things that I want to lay before you really, really briefly as we close. Three things that I want to remind you of because of God's love towards you. Here it is. God's love for you first means that you have nothing to fear. God's love for you means that you have nothing to fear. When I was a little kid lost at that 4th of July festival, I was pretty scared. But I think at a kind of deep level too, there was a comfort and an assuredness that I knew my mom wasn't gonna stop looking for me. You know? And, and there's a lot to fear right now. There's a lot in your lives that I know is, is causing legitimate and very real worry and anxiety. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. It has been a challenging year. So again, I'm not saying the circumstances of your life, they're not a big deal. I'm not minimizing the pain that you're experiencing. I'm not minimizing the struggles that you have going on in your life right now. But God loves you. And so even in those tension-filled moments Following him means there's this deep sort of rest and this deep comfort, this deep assuredness that comes from knowing that the God of the universe, he never once stopped looking for you. He keeps coming and he keeps coming, he keeps coming and he keeps coming. And God's perfect love does have the power to banish fear, to explode fear, to melt fear. God's love means that you have nothing to fear. Second, God's love means that you have nothing to hide. God's love means that you have nothing to hide. I know that you're hiding some things right now. You're holding some things right now. There's stuff in your life, in your heart, in your past that you haven't whispered to a soul. And there can be different reasons why. 
But I think one of the most powerful reasons why we hold back a lot of times is because we have this thought of, if they knew, they wouldn't love me anymore. If they knew, they would leave me. And so we hide. Friends, maybe this terrifies you. I find it to be good news. God already knows. God already knows. There is nothing you have done or said or thought that has happened hidden from him. That is his size, that is his majesty, that is his power, that is his presence. You can't hide. But we sure try, don't we? Didn't our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, isn't that not what they did immediately? Deep shame at rebelling against God. Put on some fig leaves and tried to hide from God. We can't hide from God, but we sure try, don't we? God's love for, me, for you should mean that you have nothing to hide both from him and from his people. Friends, you can't shock me with something you might want to tell me. You can't. Trust me. Try me. Come knock on my door. Man. When we hide, that's a, that's a, it's a dangerous place to be. Because we isolate. We're just not built that way. We think we can handle it. We think we can make it on our own. Don't hide. God knows. And if you can't tell his people, if you can't confess, if you can't admit, if you can't come forward, if you can't share, where are you gonna do that? God's love for you means that you have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, and here's the last one, nothing to prove. Whew. I wake up most days feeling like I'm not enough and I've got to prove it. To myself, to my family, to you all, the students that I love serving, to this institution. And I think we, there's a sense of like, yeah, we got to grow, we got to be better. We need to work our hardest, try our best. But you can't earn God's love. Romans 5 reminds us that God decided to exchange the value of Jesus for us while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8. Wasn't, wasn't after we cleaned ourselves up and had a good day, okay, now Paul's good enough for me to send Jesus to find him and die for him. Nope, nope. So I don't have to prove it. I don't have to earn it and you don't either. And experience the freedom of these three things. Nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to prove. Rest in this good news, right? Rest and find comfort and peace and assurance in this good news that God loves you so much that he came to find you. You were a lost sinner. Maybe you are still a lost sinner. Be lost no more. Become found and rest and walk in the freedom that that provides. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you didn't leave us lost Thank you so much, Father, that you find value in us. Thank you so much, Father, that you love us. Thank you that you expressed that love in the person of Jesus, the good shepherd who was sent to seek and save those who are lost. That's us, God. And there are some circumstances in all of our lives that are fearful to us. There are some 
circumstances in our lives that are challenging to us, Lord, but we want to find rest and comfort and peace and assurance in freedom in the good and best news that you love us and you value us and you have come to save us. As we uh, worship through song one more time here, I pray that we would reflect upon the truths that we've heard from your Bible and that we would sing out loud in freedom, honoring and glorifying you and all that you do and all that you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.